Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Walden and today we're off to Umbria in central Italy to talk with Chiara Lungorotti of the Lungorotti Winery, the winery that really put Umbrian wine on the map. Chiara, welcome. Hi, Monty. Chiara, tell me a little bit about your father, Giorgio, and the wine that he created, the wine that put Umbrian wine on the map, which is a red wine called Rubesco. Well, actually, my father was a a pioneer and also a visionary man. He had uh, a big dream to have Umbria region known as well as the rest of Italy to be a great wine region and to make Italy to be a great wine country. And so he was one of those pioneers that started already in the 60s to travel around the world to show there were a group of friends and they show people how Italian wines could be fantastic. He was uh, an agronomist with a great passion for viticulture. He started to replant soon after the World War II. He started to replant all the vineyards in our state and started to and started to select varietal, a special population for indigenous varietal or new varietals and introduce them to Umbria but uh, his soul was always for our indigenous varietal that is Sangiovese and therefore in uh, 62 he started to commercialize a wine whose name was Rubesco So what does Rubesco mean? Rubesco comes from a Latin word rubescere that means blush always for a nice glass of wine and uh, my father had this the idea of give a proprietary name to this wine because at that time the wines were known for the varietals or were known for the denomination like Parolo or Taurasi or Chianti but nobody knew about Umbria and Torgiano in those days and that and it was not just one varietal but was a blend of Sangiovese and Canaiolo and therefore my father started to create a proprietary name after it was invented, created by my mother, Maria Grazia. And uh, she's an art historian, so they were black and white, the very perfect balance between two characters. And uh, they started to have Rubesco known and work to be known on other markets. First, not just in Italy, first in UK, then USA and Canada and Germany, Switzerland and many others to come. So that's the story of uh, Rubesco. In the initial, you said initially Rubesco was a Canaiolo and Sangiovese. Was 70% Canaiolo and 30%, sorry, was 70% Sangiovese and 30% Canaiolo. Today Rubesco is 90% Sangiovese and 10% Colorino because when we replanted our old vineyards of Canaiolo we realized that uh, they were Colorino, like more, much more similar to the Colorino in Tuscany than to the Canaiolo of Tuscany. And this because uh, after the phylloxera epidemic at, that arrived in Umbria at the beginning of the 20th century, all the new plants were coming from Tuscany and there was a big mess and a big confusion. So basically you're saying that what you thought you had in the vineyard or what historically was in the vineyard, when you actually checked the, the, the grapes, the leaves, is that you realized that you actually had several varieties there rather than just one or two. In the old vineyards, the old vineyards were always planted with several varietals. Why did, why did the old my, farmers do that though? It was a mishmash of many things. But my father, when he started to replant the vineyards in a modern way already in the 60s, started to use varietal, single varietals already at that time. 
So once do you know that even in some in many regions of Italy, every X once on a time there was one vine, every ten or twenty vines there was one vine that was for the harvester to eat that and not to eat in order to avoid to eat the the grapes that had to be used for the wine. Uh huh, that's right. I didn't know that. That's very clever. So they eat the the sort of quotes lesser grapes and leave the more quotes more expensive ones that would actually end up in the wine. The the better quality had to be for the wine. So when you were small, were you made to work on the vineyard? Did your father make you work on the vineyard? I was always going with my father in the vineyard. Actually, each time we were seeing a little weed growing over, over a little vine, I had to get off the car and had to eradicate it because uh, the vine has to live in the best condition. And if you have a parasite just beside your feet, you can't. He was always telling me to explain why I had to. Or the same thing was to take away the big uh, stones. The stones are uh, among on the line. I was always uh, going around with him to see and to check and that has been a great school of life. What was family life like for you when you were growing up as a, as a young girl? Oh, it was what, what were you eating? Was it, was it a happy household? What kind of food were you eating? Oh, we were always eating as we do today our products and we are very seasonal. Tell me something about local Umbrian seasonal food. In this season, for instance, we are eating uh, artichokes, we are eating asparagus. We start to find a lot of uh, wild asparagus in the in the gardens as well, and uh, we eat uh, pasta with different kinds of uh, of condiment, and of course we eat uh, both. What can you do to I an mean, Umbria is perennially in the shadow of its bigger neighbour, perhaps more famous neighbour Tuscany. What can you Umbrian producers do to to get your name out there a little bit more? We have always considered the green heart of Italy. Compared to Tuscany, we have been of always a kind of minor cousins because they have been having the Grand Duke of Tuscany, and we were just part of this pop state. Of course, there is a very deep difference in terms of background. But what we can do is to do our best to know our land to be known and to promote them. Because the first thing I do when I'm traveling is to talk about my beloved and wonderful region of Umbria. And today we are always there working in order to have people come to visit us, to visit the beautiful medieval town, to stop in, in the different little restaurants or in the vineyards to visit the true essence because the wine is part of the history of the tradition of a territory and coming to our vineyards and coming to our estates of Umbrian winemakers is a fantastic way to know our wonderful region. So your way, way Umbria is in, uh, in central Italy, it gets a little bit more rainfall than either of its neighbours on either side, which means that you have a lot of forests. What food comes out of the forest and the, more, a- and the acorns that fall on the ground for certain animals? Well, of course, uh, it's more than on the, f- on the forest. We have now the forest are more on the Apennines. From the Apennines and not just from them, we have our fantastic truffle, the black truffle from Norcia de Progetto, but also the summer black truffle as well as the white from the northern part of Umbria and the Gubbio area. That's fantastic. And then we have, uh, especially on the Apennines, they cultivate a lot in the area of Castelluccio and of Norcia, they cultivate a lot of uh, lentils that are fantastic protein. So before you were asking, what are you eating? We are eating a lot of meat and cold cats, especially poor cold cats, but also we eat great amount of vegetal protein with lentils or chickpeas or beans because they are part of our everyday dishes on the table. There you go, everybody. Next time you're in Umbria, you're going to be eating pulses and drinking rubesco. A wonderful lentil soup 
with a glass of Rubisco is perfect. Chiara Lungarotti, thank you very much for sharing your, your passion and uh, your family history with us and for talking about Rubesco. And I hope to see you soon in Umbria. Looking forward and you will be very, very welcome to Torgiano and Montefalco. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Bye. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 